for us, helping us as we've sang, your grace carries us. And so I lift up people right now who really needed to sing that. Needed to sing and, and to say and to praise you because your grace has been carrying them through a lot of difficult things. I lift them up to you and ask that they continue to experience the abundance of your grace and your faithfulness. That you continue to help them. Uh, Father, the other family I'm thinking about uh, that's uh, transitioning is uh, the Ledbetter family moving out to Utah. Uh, We love them and they've brought so much good here to this church in many different ways. I pray you bless them as they transition. Be with their family. Be with their kids. I pray they'd establish themselves well in Utah and be a light there in the darkness. I pray that their kids would continue to grow up in you and love you and serve you. I pray they'd find it uh, easy to make friends and plug in with their church. And may we encourage them as they go. And Father, for us that are here um, about to look at your word, I pray that you would uh, give us the grace of understanding what it says. And may our hearts bow ourselves to you and do what you've told us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right. Nebuchadnezzar's dead. And Belshazzar is now the undisputed king of Babylon. He decides to throw a huge party. Get a thousand nobles together and let's live it up. But what's going on on the outside of Babylon's walls is what you ought to pay attention to. Because knocking at the gates is the Persian army laying siege to the city of Babylon. Siege means you camp out around a city and try to starve them to death. Because you can't get in, you can't get out. If you do go out, you get killed. And you can't open the doors to let anybody in because the army's out there. So the Persians have circled Babylon. Belshazzar's not worried. He's got this covered. He has walls that are 350 feet high. Babylonian walls. Over 80 feet thick. Babylonian walls. And there's so much room inside the city, they can grow their own crops. They have a fresh water supply. The Euphrates River goes right into Babylon. They're set. And so two and a half years, the siege has lasted. Persia's camped around Babylon. And Belshazzar is incredibly confident they will outlast the Persians. History records that sometimes the soldiers on the wall would mock the Persians. Go back home. You're never getting in here. Get out of here. And it was just this this, um, defiance. We are so safe in these walls. 
For a thousand years, Babylon has never been taken over, and you won't be the next ones to do it. And so Belshazzar thinks, you know, let's have a party. Invites a thousand nobles together, and in a a flare of irreverence, he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get the sacred vessels out of the temple from Jerusalem, the Hebrew temple, and, and we're going we're gonna to use them for wine glasses. Now certainly Belshazzar knows his history. He, he knows about Daniel and he knows about this Hebrew God that can save people from the fiery furnace. This God that can help his people interpret dreams. He, he knows his history. He doesn't care. Bring out the cups. Let's have a drunken party. And that's what they do. They feast. They eat. Persia waits. Persia's got a plan. Inside, it's revelry. Until something spectacular happens and sobers everybody up at the party. They see this hand, this uh, disembodied hand, right on the plaster of the wall. Many, many tekel parson. And nobody knows what that language is, and nobody knows what it means, and even today, we don't really know exactly what that language is. So you got four words on a wall. And I think everybody's beginning to feel like this is going to be bad news. We're not sure what it means, but everybody's face changes. Because they've never seen anything like this before. And so, as is the custom, they call in all the wise men. Probably a lot of the wise men were already at the party. They're probably right there. And the question's asked, what do the words mean? Nobody knows. And so someone, of course, suggests and says, Daniel. Apparently Daniel wasn't at the party. That's probably not a surprise to most of us. Bring him in. Now Daniel's much older in years. In fact, when Daniel was in the lion's den, he was probably in his 80s or 90s. So he's getting old. But he's a smart guy. Let's bring him in. Hear what he's got to say. In fact, if you can interpret this, there's this reward, this wealthy reward of a robe and rulership in the kingdom and all these things Belshazzar will do for you if you can say what those words mean. Would you turn to Daniel 5 and let's hear what Daniel's got to say to King Belshazzar. Daniel chapter 5, verse 18 is the beginning of his speech to the king. And the king is right. It's not going to be good news. First of all, Daniel says, keep your gifts. I don't want them. And then he says this. O king, this is verse 18 of Daniel 5. The Most High God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor because of the high position he gave him. All the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. 
He lived like the, with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. Verse 22, But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life. I think some translations say your breath and all your ways. Therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many, tekel, parson. This is what the words mean. Many. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel. You've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez. Your kingdom's divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed with purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck. He was promoted to the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius, the Mede, took over the kingdom at the age of 62. I was just reading that and I noticed, I mean, that's a very powerful message. It's a strong message of judgment. I noticed that, uh, right here as I was reading it, that uh, Belshazzar was praising the gods of wood, iron, straw, you know, whatever. It's just like, there's like a list of them. We'll praise all these gods, but not the Lord Most High, not the Hebrew God. I mean, you, you can see the arrogance here that's going on. We'll praise all the gods, but not this one. Not the Hebrew God that my, that, that, that my, that my predecessor Nebuchadnezzar had to bow before. Not that. This is a message of judgment. This is a warning sign. And that very night, Belshazzar died. This is what history tells us. History tells us that the Persian army figured out a way into the city. They waited two and a half years for this, but they did it. They got it done. They diverted the course of the Euphrates River, and they went under the city walls on, on, on the area where the river would have flowed under. That's how they got in, and they took over, and they killed Belshazzar that very night. The writing was on the wall, which is an expression that's become very common in, even in our own uh, English-speaking world. The writing's on the wall. It's a message of judgment. We have warning signs everywhere in our life that it's better to repent than to go through God's judgment or discipline. The warning signs are all around us. That's just what I want to say today that I'd like to communicate primarily. The warning signs are everywhere. Now, this is kind of a heavier message I'll lighten it up just for a second. Here's a few warning signs that uh, people have seen and taken note of. I, I think they're worth looking at for a second, and we should take some note of them. Horses prohibited on bridge. Someone has a very good sense of humor. Or this one. Danger. If that's enough to prevent you from touching a wire fence, and by all means, go ahead and see what high voltage feels like. Yes. Go ahead, drink and drive, jail, hospital, morgue. And the directions are right there, you know. It's kind of serious. Beware of the dog. The cat's not trustworthy either. That's the truth. Okay. Uh, 
Caution, this sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges of this sign. Also, the bridge is out ahead. That's got to be a setup. I mean, that's just, that's got to be. <laughs> okay. Mess, not even once, before and after. I'm sorry, I'm a Star Wars fan. It's, gotta, it's just got to happen. Don't do drugs. I grew up with the crack the eggs thing. Remember that commercial, you know, scrambling? Okay, yeah. Um, and the last one, this is for me. Thou shalt not park here, clergy only. So I'm thinking I might put a spot out here with that kind of sign. Would that be all right? Okay. Someone said no. Who said that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> the warning signs are all around us. But the problem is, the sign may say bridges out, but we don't see it. But they are there. Where do we see warning signs that God may judge us? Or that God may discipline us. I say judge and discipline. Let me differentiate between those two words. Christians are not under the, the wrathful judgment of the Lord. You know, we're saved. We're forgiven. So when I say judgment, I'm speaking to you that don't know Christ. But we are under the discipline of God. He doesn't just let us sin and say, I won't, I won't do anything. You'll, you'll never get a, a spanking from me, you know. No, there is discipline from the Lord. Those are the way I'm using those two terms, just so you know where I'm coming from. I'm using judgment primarily for those that don't know Christ and discipline for those who do know Christ. From a father to a son, God disciplines us. The warning signs are all around us. Where do you see them? Uh, here, here's some suggestions on the screen behind me. Um, they're in your life, your history. L- look at your parents. What things happened to them? What, what, what bad things happened to them? What could you learn from their story? What happened to your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle? This is your family history. You can see how God has interacted with your family as far as consequences go. Discipline, judgments, you can see it. Are you paying attention? One of the most powerful things my grandmother ever said to me was, um, she would never drink alcohol. Not because she believed it was a sin to drink, but because her father was an alcoholic. And she didn't want to walk down that path. And that was also enough for me, primarily. This isn't, my, this isn't an anti-alcohol message. It's just, if you look at your history, what do you see there? What lessons should you have learned from other people in your family, from your own life? The, the lessons are also in your Bible. If you open your Bible and read the stories of, of Scripture you're going to see some of the heroes of the Bible, the people we teach in our Sunday school classes to our kids, and you're going to see your heroes fail miserably. David, anybody? The man after God's own heart? I would love people to say that about me. Niall, a man after God's own heart. But I never want to do what he did in being uh, an adulterer and a murderer. I never want to walk down that road. David. In fact, that's why one reason scholars say the Bible is so accurate and so uh, historical because it doesn't cover the failures of its heroes. It's not a hero story. There's only one real hero in the Bible, and that's Jesus. He didn't sin. He has no faults. He's the one that's perfect. Everybody else has those faults in the Bible. One guy does not. So these stories in your Bible, these Sunday school stories you grew up with, if you look at your heroes, even there you will see that they are sinners 
and there are warning signs, do you think God's going to interact with them and judge their sin and discipline them and not you? You think you're going to get away with it and they didn't? They're also in the lives of the people you know. I, I mean, you know the biographies of many different people. You know the stories. You, you know CEOs that have uh, made stupid decisions and ruined their companies on, on a large level. You know people in the community that have made bad decisions and wrecked their families. You, you know these stories. They're not unknown to you. Have you learned the lesson from those? Do you know that if you do something similar, the same thing can happen to you? These are the warning signs God has given to us. There's probably others. But these are the people you know. These are the biographies you know. Why is it then that we seem to repeat the mistakes of people around us? If the warning sign is there, if many tackle parson If the writing is on the wall, your life has been weighed. You've been found wanting. God's going to judge you. If these warning signs are all around us, why do we miss them? Why is it so easy? It's like this. Uh, Every year, for the last 14 years I've been in ministry, I drive down to the Peoria, Illinois area and celebrate Christmas. I usually drive on on Christmas Eve, sometimes Christmas Day. And probably half of those years, this is kind of pessimistic, probably half of those years, there's a snowstorm. It's like a blizzard out. And and we've got the music on. We've got Michael W. Smith singing carols to us. But it's not very cheery in the car. Because the snow's blowing, and the closer you get to Madison, the more people you see in the ditch. You know what I'm talking about. You're going down 3951, and you start seeing people, and, and I'm gripping the steering wheel, and the kids are oblivious in the back. They're just doing their thing. But Christy's not oblivious in the front seat. She's looking at me like, are you crazy? You know, we're going to keep going? I'm like, I got this. I'm driving. I got this. And, and then the snow's blowing. There's another one. That's number 15. Don't worry. I got this. And this is the problem. It's the same problem with warning signs. This is the problem. That won't happen to me. I got this covered. I'm a better driver than them. Those crazy Madison people, they don't know what they're doing. Anybody from Madison? I just really insulted you, didn't I? But they're always around Madison. You know I speak the truth. You know I do. They're never up here in three lakes. We know what we're doing. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kidding. Okay. Um, We say it won't happen to me. And we tell ourselves the fairy tales of, yeah, that's just the city drivers. They don't know what they're doing. And and we tell ourselves this, but we don't know how close we are. Right outside the walls is the Persian army, and you may not be able to hold them back. And so when you're dabbling in sin and messing around and doing what you know God has said no to, the writing might be on the wall and you just won't see it. Now, in recent years, I will pat myself on the back because I have listened to my wife. And our, and our practice nowadays is if it gets bad, we only go halfway. And we stop and, and we get a hotel and we, and we continue the next morning. And for the last, not last year, but the last couple of years, that's exactly what we've done. We've dr- driven halfway. And it's worked out that way. A- and I say to myself, but I've never been in the ditch. You know, I've never... God, actually I have, but I was, yeah, I guess I have. Um, 
Can you stop it from happening every single time? Can you sin and get away with it? A lot of times, maybe. But eventually the Persians are breaking in. And, and, and your 80 feet walls, 80 foot thick walls are not going to keep them out. Be sure your sin will find you out. So, what would I say to you on uh, why, why do we miss these warning signs? Here's some biblical reasons from the text, I think, why we miss it. Uh, number one, pleasure has dulled our senses. In the first part of the story, in verses 1 through 3, verse 1, Belshazzar gave a great banquet. They drank wine. They're, they're just partying, and the danger's right outside their door. Pleasure's dulled our senses. Yes, this is a good alcohol analogy, but, you know, it's true of many other pleasurable sins as well. You, you can overdo it in many ways. You can pursue pleasurable sin in many ways. And when you do that, your senses get dulled and you're not looking at the fact the bridge is out, at the fact the roads are slick. You, you, you just, you're, just, you're so intoxicated by the pleasure, you almost don't care what's going to happen to you. It's the story of drug addiction. It's the story of alcoholism. It's the story of pornography addiction. This is it. It's dulled our senses and we don't see what it's doing to us. until the writing gets written on the wall and we get sobered. And I've been in those conversations many times where someone gets found out and that's when they get sobered when the writing is on the wall. Secondly, uh, the second thing is uh, protection. you got thick walls. you got high walls. Protection has excused us from taking action. Who needs to worry about the Persians? We don't even have to fight them. We'll just outlast them. We'll just stay in here and eat our food and drink our clean water from the Euphrates. We're good. We can outlast them. Number uh, Verse 4. Let's see, I think that's the one about the gods, right? They drank wine. They praised the gods of gold and silver or bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Let's praise them all because they've saved us. We don't have to worry about the Persians. We've got bronze gods, wood gods, iron gods, and they've helped us. We're protected. We feel safe. We're lulled into a sense of security. So who needs to act? Um, let me address Christians for a second here. If you're not a believer, you can listen to this too. But Christians, we have the ultimate spiritual protection. We have grace. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. That grace is sufficient it's infinite. It's an unending well. You can keep going in sin and it will never dry up. That's our grace. But has our spiritual protection excused us from taking action on our sin? You get where I'm going with this? It's like Paul in writing Romans. He's writing about the wonders of grace the wonders of Christ's forgiveness. He says so many wonderful things about grace. But then in, ver- in chapter 6, he has to say, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And the reason he has to ask that question, I'm sure he's heard it. I'm sure he's been accused of it. 
And the fact is, if we're honest, whether we verbalized it or not, we said it to ourselves. I'll just do this and ask God to forgive me. The grace is there. I won't be judged. And this story, Belshazzar is written for us. Now, you've got to remember, Daniel is writing the book of Daniel, and he's writing for the Jewish people. He's writing for God's people. And the message is this. You'd, you'd better repent. If you don't humble yourself, this can happen to you. So again, sinning, a Christian that sins, well, we all sin. And no, we're not going to hell. We're forgiven. We're not under God's wrath. But God may discipline us severely in this life because we've been messing around. And we think, I'm just protected. Grace will keep me from those things. And so far, I haven't paid the price. Any price for what I've done. I, I, have, I haven't been disciplined at all so far for what I've done. How long can you drive on those slippery roads? That's my question. Because Paul would say in Romans 6, if you've been crucified with Christ, if you've been united to Christ, how can you live in sin any longer? Your sinful nature was crucified when Jesus was crucified. How can you keep going back to this dead thing and saying, this is good, I'll just have grace cover it. How can you keep doing that to yourself? Don't feel protected from God's discipline. Because you're not. Number three. Maybe I'll say number two before I go to number three. There have been times where I know God could have disciplined me, but He hasn't. I, I know grace can mean that I don't have a harsh consequence in this life. Don't get me wrong on that. If we listed all your sins up here, there'd probably be some that you haven't suffered consequences for. I'm okay with that. I'm not saying it's going to get you in ten years. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying don't think you're safe behind your walls. God can get through them and He can bring discipline into your life. That's what I'm saying. Clarify that. Okay, number three, lastly. Uh, number three. Pride has blinded us to reality. Uh, this is verse 22. Uh, 22. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. What did Belshazzar know? He knew Nebuchadnezzar was driven insane after being, you know, supreme in Babylon. He knew Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself and praised the God of heaven, the Most High. And then Nebuchadnezzar was restored back to power. He knew that story, he knew what happened. He knew it was the Hebrew God that now he's drinking wine from the, the, the sacred vessels. He knew that. Pride blinded him. Pride blinded him. We talked about this two weeks ago. I'm not going to go over all those points again. Pride blinds us to the reality that right outside the gates is our downfall. We're just a Jenga block away from toppling over. If you missed it. Jenga. Um... It's right there. And we're blind to it. And, Belsh and Daniel says, Belshazzar, you knew it. It is a scary thing to know that maybe you're sinning in a way that someone else has sinned and they've fallen big time and you haven't fallen yet. That's a scary thing. 
Because what's going to stop you? Just a touch of the Jenga blocks and it all comes crashing down. And we're blind to it. That's the problem. We don't see it often until it's too late. What do we do? This is the end. What do we do? Uh, we humble ourselves. That's the point of the story. I mean, you, you notice how similar this is to uh, the Nebuchadnezzar story? He's driven, I mean, Belshazzar's not driven insane, obviously, like Nebuchadnezzar was. But Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself before God, and God restored him. And then God expects that knowledge to be given to Belshazzar, and he does know about it, but he does nothing about it. So he doesn't humble himself, even though he knows what happened. Maybe he wrote it off and said, yeah, Nebuchadnezzar, he midlife crisis, you know, and just wrote it off. We don't know what he said. Obviously, that's a 20th, 21st century idea. But whatever he said to himself to write off Nebuchadnezzar, he did. It won't happen to me. I'm a good driver. And his downfall was at the gates. Humble yourself and repent before it's too late. This is our message, friends. This is our message. When Jesus died on the cross, He shed His blood to cover your sin. This is what's against you. Many, many tekel paras, parson. It's against you. There's a judgment against your sin, and all sinners will go to hell forever. But Jesus' blood covers the writing on the wall. Right? Jesus' blood covers many, many tekel parson. It's covered. And if you wanted to cover your sin, all you got to do is ask. Worship team, would you come up? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes now? If there are some here and you fall into that category of I don't believe and today you've seen the writing on the wall and you realize you have a chance to change that. You can ask forgiveness. You can believe in Christ's death to pay for your sins. You can commit your life to Him. If that's what you would do this morning... Could I have you give me a little hand up, look up at me? If that's you and you want to receive that today. Anybody? Anyone? I see no one. I'll challenge you to consider it throughout your day, throughout your week. Consider the writing on the wall. And the fact is, the writing's not permanent yet. It can always be blotted out by Jesus' blood. He died for you. It's a metaphor, of course, but He died for you. His blood blots out your judgment. Literally, if you want to speak literally, He paid the price you deserve to pay by dying for you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we, uh, we love what You've done for us. I pray for those here who have not yet trusted You. I pray they consider well what you have done for them, how you've died for them, how you love them. And I pray they would respond before it's too late. Thank you, Jesus, for setting us free from our sins. Thank you for giving us a new life. 
that we can enjoy in you. You have set us free. Now may we live it. May we enjoy that life under your grace, free to live for you, free to act the way you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.